Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Now that I have your attention, uh, the reason why I sang that song is uh, for many Singaporeans here in two weeks' time, uh, it will be our National Day, 9th of August. And of all the incredible NDP songs, National Day songs, the one that strikes home for me is Home by Kate Chan. Although now after I've sung it, I think most of you, it's a horror instead of a... <laughs> but this song also reminds me that it, there is a greater home that we are longing for the new heavens and the new earth. There's a longing God has put inside for home. And what really makes a home a home, more than just a place, it's our feelings attached to it. You, you hear the lyrics of the song, it's, this is where I belong. I'm not alone. And that's what makes friends a home a home. This morning I share this with us because we are looking at this whole issue of our families placed in God's hands. What does it mean when our families are surrendered into God's hands and become all that God intends? I believe our families become truly homes. Before we begin, I invite us to close our eyes, bow our heads as we come before the Lord and, and let us pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, Father, we pause right now because of all the words that our Lord Jesus tells us we are to address you. He calls us to call you our Father in heaven. And with that single word, we are all part of your family. We are sons and daughters of the King. Because of all that Jesus has done for us, we are your family. Thank you, Lord. But this morning, as we come and examine this whole idea of family, we recognize that sometimes the word family doesn't bring that joy and that, that sense of being home. But it may sound forth pain for many of us. 
And so I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and to minister to us this day so that our families truly become the homes that you intend. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit. Many of you know that in the month of July, we are taking a break from our Daniel series and we are looking at how various domains of our life when placed into the hands of God, what can it be like? And so we began with this whole idea of our work in God's hands, uh, our money in God's hands, our minds in God's hands, and last Sunday, our bodies in God's hands. This morning, I'd like to finish out this series with our families in God's hands. What does it mean for our families, anything to be placed in God's hands? It basically means we surrender to what God wants rather than what we want. And in doing so, what, what would it look like? When we think about family, there are two broad categories I like to approach this with one. First is obviously the biological family. And for that, in the scriptures, today we'll be looking at creation and a lot of what God says to be family to be out there. And so on the screen, you'll see Genesis 1.27, which tells us at creation, God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then in chapter 2, verse 24, it goes on to say, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this whole idea of family flows out of God's design for mankind, his gift of a marriage, and therefore families come about. It makes absolute sense in that direction. Now, many of you sitting here, as I look around, you are younger folks and you say, hey, you know, Pastor, I, I'm not married, so this doesn't apply to me. And I would, I would say, no, I, I disagree with you. Why? Because whether we are married or we are unmarried, all of us are part of a family. Why? We have, we have, we have biological parents, mom and dad. They may not be, be around, but you still have biological parents. And God may have blessed us with siblings as well. So whether we believe it or not, all of us are part of a family. We are in a family. That's number one. But beyond the biological family, God also tells us something incredible. He says that the moment that you and I entrust God, we trust Him, we get into a faith relationship with Him, we are part of His family as well. We are welcome into His family, uh, in, in the family of God. And we see this, for example, in uh, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18, and this is what it says. God says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Or in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of faith. And all of us, we are a local family together. This is how God has so designed us. Now, when we think about family, the issue is exceedingly broad. The, the, the matters to cover are just exceedingly broad to, to cover in a half an hour sermon. So what I've done my best is to distill for us what I believe is God's intention for the family. And it's all distilled into three things. The family is God's blessing for life, for love, and for legacy. That's all you need to remember today when you think about family. It's about life, it's about love, and it's about legacy. The fruitfulness of life, the fullness of love, and the flourishing of legacy. So let's begin with the first, the fruitfulness of life. How do we see that in our families? So two years ago, in the year 2021, somewhere around July or June, um, my sister and myself were having a conversation and she made a very unusual request. My sister is a very generous person. She very seldom asks for things specifically. But that year, in our conversation, she says, this Christmas, uh, I want a lemon tree. <laughs> very unusual for Corinne to say such things because she, she, whatever you give her, she loves. But that year, she asked for a lemon tree. So I said, what's this business with a lemon tree? 
And she said, well, I just uh, feel like having a lemon tree. I want a fruiting lemon tree. Okay, fruiting lemon tree. So uh, my sons and I, I think Joel, we, we searched, we scoured the internet. And lo and behold, there were nurseries that sold lemon trees. And so there was one that says, oh, this one will fruit one. I said, okay, la, we just trust it. La. So we ordered it and it came. And on, on, around December, we brought it to her and says, here says, Merry Christmas. Uh, this is a lemon tree, but no fruit. La. But they said, oh, fruit. La. So we wait. La. And so first month, second month, third month, still like that. Ah, fourth month, we begin to see flowering. Flowering. And then by fifth month and sixth month, we can show the picture. Ooh. Oh. Lemon, and this is the current one. In other words, it has not stopped fruiting since then. This tree is so fruitful, we've courted it and given it to several people, and it's fruited as well. Wow, such a fruitful lemon tree. And many of you say, uh, Pastor, are you trying to sell lemons? <laughs> no, 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 no. The reason why I share this is very simple, is that God has designed life to be fruit-bearing, to be life-giving. His design into creation is to give life and more life and more life to fill the earth. That's God's design. And we see that in Genesis again, 1.28. We can show that on the screen. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is God's design for life. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So the first thing when we think about family is to do with life and this idea of the fruitfulness of life. Three things I'd like to share. Firstly, this is not a pitch towards increasing our TFR. TFR stands for Total Fertility Rate. Okay? So many of you know that in Singapore last year, 2022, we reached the lowest historic point for Singapore's TFR. It's 1.05. We're at the point of no return, really. We have an aging population. We don't have enough babies. And the economy will get into trouble if it carries on this way. We won't have enough warm bodies in, in the army and so on and so forth. And so you've got all these baby bonus scheme and etc. etc. This is not a pitch in that direction, my friends. I'm just sharing you what is God's desire. What is God's design for mankind, for humankind? God calls us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God's design. Number one. Number two, I know some of you sitting here, you hear a statement like this, be fruitful and multiply, and inside you cringe. You cringe, you know why? Because you want to be fruitful, you want to multiply, but for whatever reason, you cannot have children. And I know a message like this, sitting down and listening to that, it is not easy, it is painful. I want to share two things. The first is, I don't believe barrenness is necessarily a punishment from God. I believe most of it is due primarily to the fallenness of our human sinful nature. And it affects everything, disease and everything. It's not part of God's plan, number one. Number two is there are many godly women in the scriptures that are barren. Now, for whatever reason, God chose to open the wombs of some and, and others, we don't know why. We don't know why. So maybe for those of us who are struggling in this area, it could be that journey, that surrendering of our lives to the Lord and our families to Him and trust Him that the Lord knows what is really, really the best for us. But there's a third group that I like to address. The third group are men and women who are married. Uh, they can have children, but for whatever reason, they, they have concerns. And so let me share with you, this is taken from, from an article on Straits Times, uh, just at uh, the beginning of this month, on the 3rd of July, and it's talking about the, the low fertility rate of Singapore and why, uh, what, what's happening. And they quoted uh, 
Dr. Tan Engse, who's a sociologist from uh, NUS, and this is what he says. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, likely factors for not having children include children increasingly not being seen as part of retirement planning, while the cost of raising them has risen in an increasingly VUCA, uh, meaning volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity world. More and more resources are necessary to bring up a child, and that is also a constraint on the number of children a couple can afford, he said. Off-sited factors are the rise of dual-income households, in part to make enough to maintain a middle-class lifestyle, a women's late marriages, priorities given to career, and in turn, the lack of work-life, harmony in jobs which emphasize deliverables, said Dr. Tan. So I, I, I do want to acknowledge we do live in an increasingly volatile, uncertain, and complex world. And if we are bringing children to this world, I do not wish to dismiss this easily and, and just say it's nothing. We seriously need to think about that. But I have a deeper concern. My deeper concern is that if our decision whether or not to have children is based primarily on a middle-class lifestyle or our career choices alone, progression alone, I'm deeply concerned. Why? Because where is Jesus in the equation? Where is God telling and speaking to us? How are we living according to God's plans? How are our families surrendered into God's hands? Allow me to share Tina and my journey. Uh, this year is our 31st year uh, married together. And in this 31 years, right at the beginning, right at the start, right at the start, I still remember in the early months of our marriage, we were walking around our neighborhood just in our evening walk, and I heard the Holy Spirit just whisper to me, you will have three children. And I smiled. Because at that time, we were in our early stage of our marriage, having children was the furthest from our mind. We wanted to have children, but not yet at that time. And so I just turned to Tina and says, you know, uh, I got told us we have three children. No, she didn't slap me. Okay. Uh, she smiled also because, you know, that was furthest from her mind as well. But we kept that in mind. Now, fast forward that eight years down the road, and by then we had two boys, six years old and four years old. Incredible. It was great. We, we loved them. But we were in a season where we were very stretched in our life and ministry. And uh, we felt very tired. We felt we couldn't give the best. And honestly, financially, it was tight as well. So we came to the place eight years down that two is enough. Uh. That's all we can handle. That's all we can handle. And that's it. Uh. Interestingly, that year in our church camp, God spoke to us separately on this issue. Now, you must understand the church camp that year had nothing to do with go forth and multiply. No, nothing at all. It's just your regular church camp where we bring people, know Jesus, follow him, that's it. But in that church camp, separately, individually, apart from one another, God spoke to us and we felt convicted. And this is what God said to us separate on separate occasions, different occasions. God says, you don't trust me, do you? You don't trust me, do you? And we felt convicted. But we didn't know how to bring this up. Because in the camp, we were busy, we were ministering. So after the camp, when we reached back to Singapore, sheepishly, we brought up the topic. And we were surprised because it was furthest from our mind. And each of us had received the same word from the Lord. We knew this was from the Lord. And so we made that choice to say, in spite of all our challenges, in spite of our difficulties, we choose to trust Jesus. We choose to walk with God. And we planned for the third child. And we are so grateful. God blessed. God blessed us. 
Friends, I'm not sharing this to say, I'm better than you. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we struggle. We struggle to follow Jesus just like all of us do. But friends, where is God in the multiplication equation in your lives? We have to bring that into the equation because one day we will stand before Jesus. You're not standing before me or before any one of us. We are standing before the Lord. That's what it means for our families to be surrendered into God's hands, isn't it? When we answer, we are accountable to the Lord. That's my encouragement to all of us who can seek the Lord, seek the Lord. Ask Him, Lord, what is your desire for my family, for this family that's given to you? And allow the Lord to lead you in that direction. Now, for those of us, the rest of us here who say, well, I'm unmarried, how does this reproduction uh, apply to me? God says, remember, we're also part of a spiritual family. So now on the screen, I show you the verse from John 15, 8. It says, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So whether you're married or single, it doesn't matter. This applies to all Christ's followers. God expects a certain measure of fruit in our lives. And this fruit is not biological. It is primarily spiritual, fruit of character, fruit of conduct fruit of conversion, people coming to know you because they look at your life, there's an attractiveness, there's God in your life and they want, to, they want to know Jesus as well. That's what it means. You see, friends, when our lives, in all its brokenness, in all its pain, and people can see, wow, God is in this person's life and it's slowly but truly changing to be more beautiful. People are attracted to that. If all of us do that, our homes truly become more than just families they really become homes for many of us. That's the first thing God intends. God intends for life, the fruitfulness of life. We move from the fruitfulness of life to the fullness of love. That's the second point, the fullness of love. So here's an article from British Medical Journal, or BMJ for short, also published this year on the 4th of May. And the title of this article was Epidemic of Loneliness Threatens Public Health, says US Surgeon General. So it quoted the US Surgeon General saying, half of all Americans are experiencing a measurable level of loneliness. I pause a moment. America has 330 million plus people. This is the Surgeon General of the United States. He represents the voice of authority of the health situation of the entire nation. He says half of the United States there's more than 160 million people suffer some measure of loneliness. And more than that, it's a serious threat to their health. It went on to report, loneliness is more than just a bad feeling. When people are socially disconnected, their risk of anxiety and depression increases. So do their risk of health disease, up by 29%, dementia, up by 50%, and stroke, up by 32%. The increase of premature death associated with social disconnection is comparable to smoking. So you may not smoke, but socially you're disconnected. Your chances of premature death, same. God has wired us, designed us to be social beings. That's why in Genesis 2.18, the next verse, God already knew that right at the get-go. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is the first not good in the entire scriptures. Everything was good until this point. And God says, this is not good. What is not good? For man to be alone. We are designed as communal creatures. We are designed to live life together with one another. And that's very important. As Christians, it makes, again, total sense for us. How come? 
because the God who reveals who He is to us in the Scriptures, He is one God existing in three persons, three persons of the Godhead, in that wonderful dance of love, in that community, in that relationship, in the Trinity. And if God is relationship, we made in His image, we are relational beings, made absolute sense. We look at this and say, yeah, it is, it is. That's how we are wired. That's how we are wired. Now again, allow me to address two groups of people because one says, see, only married people will be fulfilled. That's not true. That's not true. Many of you here are married. Some of you here, you're married, but you feel alone. And it's true, isn't it? Why? Because there may be physical intimacy, but not necessarily emotional and spiritual intimacy. You're married, but you don't feel you really know one another. Does that make sense? And this is more common than we would believe. It's more than just physical coming together. It's that sense of being one. The second thing I want to share is this. The most fulfilled person in the entire human history, the most fulfilled person in the entire human history, past, present and future, he was single. The most fulfilled person in the entire human history, past, present and future, is not married. Of course, I'm referring to our Lord Jesus Christ. He was absolutely fulfilled without necessarily being married. Tremendous sense of fulfillment with his friends, with his disciples, in his relationship with his heavenly Father. Do you see that? You don't have to be in a married relationship to find that fulfillment. So some of you will say, so pastor, how does the fullness of love look like? What, what does it mean? Allow me to attempt that. I think it's found in the scriptures in Genesis 2, uh, 29. So on the screen it says, Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. So think with me. They were naked. They did not feel they needed to hide from one another. They don't have to put on a mask. They don't have to be somebody else. They don't have to pretend. They felt accepted. They felt loved. They felt it's okay. I belong here. I have a word for that. That word is, they felt safe. They felt safe with one another. They were not judged. They were just embraced and accepted. And here, my friends, is the pain point. Because for many of us in our families, we do not necessarily feel safe. Some of us do not feel safe physically. And if there is, in that sense, that abuse there, we really need to bring this attention to the authorities. But by and large, I think most of us, we don't necessarily feel safe in the sense that emotionally we are not connected. We come together, we live together, but we don't really know one another. We are distant, mum, dad, brother, sister, but we, we are not connected emotionally with one another. And I think that is what many of us struggle with. Our homes need not necessarily be those safe places. So I came from a generation where the primary expression of love from my parents to me was to make sure there is a roof over my head, there's food on the table. And I think many of us, the X's and the boomers and the dinosaurs here, we say, we are so grateful, so grateful, so grateful. Deeply, we love our parents. We know they love us because that's how it is. But providing just that roof and that food on the table doesn't necessarily make our families into homes, see? So how do we make our families into homes? I present to you one of the key ways is they become places of safety. We feel safe at home. We are welcome home. How do we do that? Let me share four simple steps. These are not the only way, but they, they help us move 
in that direction where our, our families become homes. The first is we need a regular space, regular space. By regular space, I mean that we need a regular time face-to-face -face with one another. So start say, yeah, well, we meet regularly once every Chinese New Year. No count. Eh. Okay, so you must have a greater frequency. And I, I suggest to you that a, a week, at least a weekly time together is it, it, it's it's important. So my family, there are five of us, Tina, myself, our three children, and the two boys are working and, and Joanne has her own schedule and we are busy with ministry everything. So in the course of the week, often dinner time, three, two, maybe four, very hard to get five together. But Sunday, tonight, Sunday we have said we try to cut all other, uh, you know, everything. We, we, we are home together with one another. We make that regular space, that commitment. And I want to encourage us, we can consider trying that. Secondly is paying attention. Paying attention. This is really much harder than you would think. It's really much harder than you would think. Why? Because we live in a very busy, very distracted world. To be present and give my attention to someone is not so simple. You go and try it. You go and try it. It's not so simple. But you got to do it because the greatest gift in our busy and distracted world, anyone can give anyone. It's the gift of attention. It's the gift of presence. So this is something that's very critical. When we meet together, I want to say, oh, all the phones not on the table. It's not easy because, you know, companies texting the boys for work and stuff like that, and I just know it's not, it's not easy, okay? So I'm not trying to make it easy. I'm just saying we just need to pay attention when someone is saying. That's number two. The third is we need to feel the heart. We need to feel the heart. Feel the heart meaning because sometimes when we say things, it's not exactly processed, and then they just come out, blah, 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 just come out. And rather than just hold the words, is to hear, hey, what, what do those words mean? What, what is the feeling behind those words? Hearing the heart. That's what it means to feel the heart. And the last is to embrace the person. Embrace the person. Embrace the person meaning that when you're present there to build a safe place, you're there to know that person. Not so much to fix that person. And that's our problem. That's my problem. Every time I listen, you want to fix it. I want to fix it. Singapore disease. So we, we try not to fix it. And most people don't want to be fixed. If they want to be fixed, they'll tell you, fix me. Very few. But most people don't want to be fixed. They just want to be known. That's what it means to be loved and accepted. I'm not saying we don't have an opinion. I'm not saying we shouldn't share our values. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying first, give the gift of being present and know the person. That's what it means to build safety. It forms an acronym. It's a bit forced. I'm sorry, but I'm trying my best. At least, hopefully, when we practice this, a regular space where we pay attention, uh, when we feel the heart, and we embrace the person, I believe that will move us bit by bit so that our families can truly become homes. One of the best things that happened to me recently is the gift that the church has given to my family to take some time off in a sabbatical. Uh, I, I didn't use all that time to be away. Uh, the first two months I was back in Singapore trying to finish off the book and by God's grace it's kind of done. But three and a half weeks, Tina and my myself had some time by ourselves overseas and the children couldn't join us work and their own schedules. Three and a half weeks, very, very precious for us. And I wish to tell you, oh, the three and a half weeks so is what we've been doing all the 31 years together. It's just that in this season together, we were just busy too. We were just caught up with work and every night when we meet together is to, oh, tomorrow who's eating, uh, how to schedule out stuff and all that things. But ourselves as, as persons, uh, Tina has grown, I have grown. We, we have not had that chance to do it. 
So in that three and a half weeks where we were in retreats, when we were attending a summer course together, we, of course we had time with friends and all that, it was incredible because I, I realized, wow, Tina has grown. I hope she looked at me and said, oh, wow, you have grown also. also but, but no, we, we have grown as a person and I've gotten to know her just a little bit better. I'm so grateful for the time because honestly I can say, now I, I know my wife a little better. It's not just an idea. This is who God is forming in her life. And I've grown to love her more. And I think she's also got to love me more. But we need that space together. From the fruitfulness of life to the fullness of love, building that safety, we come now to the flourishing of legacy. The last point, the flourishing of legacy. You know, friends, of all the agencies God could choose to make himself known from generation to generation, he didn't choose uh, Twitter, or now X, uh, or Facebook, or, or Instagram, or take out an advertisement piece in Straits Times, or whatever it is. He didn't do all this. He chose the agency of the family to make himself known from generation to generation. We see this in uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 on the screen again. So allow me to read for you. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hands and they shall be as fronted between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the primary responsibility for passing on the faith, for passing on not just information, but the knowing of who the God that we believe in falls strictly, strongly onto the homes and to the families. It is our responsibility. And in covenant, we, we've been sharing this with you. Many of you know that disciple-making doesn't primarily happen in the church. It happens in our families, where fathers and mothers do their best to take that responsibility. Now, if that is the case, we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing? How are we doing? So there's not a lot of data to show on this, but there is one particular graph that may be useful in our thinking. So I ask to show the first graph first. So this is a, a graph which is a fairly typical distribution of age group in churches. Okay, doesn't have to be covenant, can be any church in Singapore. On the y-axis is numbers, on the x-axis is age groups divided by age groups. Okay. So it's fairly typical in the sense that different churches, of course, different numbers, they will vary. Okay, but this pattern is by and large typical. So what do you notice about this pattern? There are more older people than younger people. That's the first one. Okay, so you see the younger people, second gens, first gen down there, or Christians down there. There are more older people than younger people. This is by and large and, and this represents, represents our social situation in Singapore. You turn this chart around, it becomes our population chart in Singapore. We're an aging population. So this reflects the social reality of the world we live in. Number one. Number two, there's something very important in this chart. What do you notice? Show the next graph. 19 to 25, there's a dip. And this is consistent in many, 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 many churches. There's always a dip. There's always a dip here. May not be exactly 19, could begin at 18, could begin at but there's always a dip in this season. This dip is a group of young people who, when they're growing up in the church, they came to church. Why? Because parents, they come with parents now. 
And then when they're teenagers, parents can still drag them. But by the time they reach national service or polytechnic or university, they need not necessarily want to stay in church. And this is the reality of many, many, many churches. We have to pause and ask ourselves, wow, Lord, 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 what, what can we do better here? Now, I share this. This is a pain point. This is the pain point here. This is the pain point here. Because many parents here, uh, it is not just a, a graph. It is your child. It is my child. It's our children. Our children. So what, 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 what can we do? And for parents who, who, who are in this situation, I want to share with you these words. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up praying for your children. Don't give up continuing to love your children because God has not given up on your children. God has not given up on them. And we continue to rebuild. We saw in the second point how we can make our, our families into homes in a safer place. We continue to practice this so that our, our families become homes. They become safer, safer. That's number one. But what about the church? What can we as a spiritual family come together so that this is, this is better? Our, our young people cross that chasm from 19 to 25 better. How do we do that? I believe we can do that when we, we take greater responsibility, not just for our nuclear family, but for the spiritual family here. What, what do I mean? So for the young people, the older ones can go down. Eh? But the older ones going down is very much like their parents down there also. And what the younger ones want to relate to is not exactly their parents, but maybe an older or just an older brother or sister who may not be related to them by blood, but someone who is a young adult, perhaps, being present with them and journeying with them in that season. That, that has been shown to help them cross that journey better. So bit by bit, for these young adults, the older ones can probably go in and, and be friends and, and grow that. So we are developing that, that village, uh, I use a, a local word, that kampongness, or that village-like relationship with one another, which God intends. Now, Covenant is far from the perfect church. God is doing something here for which I'm deeply grateful. I, I think bit by bit, we are moving in that direction to recognize I can't build the family myself. I need the extended family, the spiritual family to come alongside to help me in that journey. So something happened recently that framed my, my understanding of what God is doing. So those of you here in Woodland Centre, you've heard the story. This is shared for the broader body that uh, uh, we do have a, 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 a young person here, a teenager, uh, his name is Ryan Lim. He's 15 years old. His family and him joined Covenant in 2018. Uh, and by God's grace, they were plucked into a cell group. They have friends there and they're growing in that relationship. But recently, something happened. Uh, Ryan suffers from a, a rare condition called autoimmune hepatitis. Uh, he's been having this condition for 10 years. Basically, it means the immune system in his body is attacking his own liver. And so in the course of these 10 years, the liver is not doing well. As a matter of fact, recent days is uh, decompensating uh, not so well. He needs a liver transplant soon. So we brought this up for prayer first because in the early part of July, we had the expectation that the dad was able to donate his liver and therefore we are able to, to give new life to Ryan. Uh, but unfortunately, two days before that transplant surgery, uh, uh, it was discovered there was some unusual anatomical anomalies in the dad's liver and it, it will not be suitable. And so we brought this up for prayer. As a spiritual community, we shared this and say, you know, friends, let, let us come and pray for uh, 
uh, a liver donor uh, for Ryan. And you know what? In the subsequent days and weeks, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, 11. 11 covenantals stepped up and says, I will donate my liver. I will donate my liver. And as leadership, we stood back and said, wow, God is really moving among us. You know, friends, this is not donating money, you know. It's not even donating blood. It is giving part of our liver that another may have life. This is what makes a church into a family and a home. Why? Because if something like this happened in your family, uh, we are the first to raise our hands, isn't it? And say, I will volunteer first. And here are men and women who are not biologically related to the family, and they, they raise their hand and say, I volunteer. I volunteer. This is what makes the church into a family and in a home. And I pray, I, we continue this, this kind of building that relationship, helping one another, loving one another, so that really people can look at the church and say, wow, like that, I also want. Uh. And that's what, how people come into the kingdom. When the church becomes more than just family, but homes, and people experience that love, behold how they love one another. Truly God is among them. This is what God wants, not just for us, but for His church, not just in Singapore, but throughout the world. I, I have a favourite airline. I'm absolutely biased. My favourite airline is SQ, SIA. Can't afford it, but when I can, take SQ. <laughs> Why? Because there's only one thing SQ can do that no other airline can do. And those of us who have taken SQ, you know, when it lands in Changi, you hear the captain after the plane, and you, you know, oh, landed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Changi International Airport. Uh, please remain seated until the seatbelt sign is off. See, I can also say. <laughs> you may now switch on your mobile phones and, uh, you know, do whatever you need to do. And SQ always has this. You listen up for it. And for fellow Singaporeans, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. That always gets me. This is home. That's what God wants our families to be. That's what God wants our churches to be. When we walk in, we feel home. I'm loved. I'm accepted. God loves me. Men and women embrace us together. And this is what, what God calls us to. But if we think that, oh, I got, I'm going to have to do all this to make this a home, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Because there's a deeper principle here today as we think about families and homes. And this is, this is the principle. Let me share that with you. It's hard for our families to be truly homes until our heart becomes a home for God. Let me say that again. It's very difficult for our families to become truly homes until your heart and my heart become homes for God. And that's what God wants. He wants to take residence in our homes so that our biological homes, our spiritual homes, can truly, families rather, can truly become His home. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us this morning here. You have spoken your heart through your scriptures, I believe. 
that you intend for life, for love, and for legacy through the families. A blessing. This morning, I come and I, I pray for all of us, myself included, with all eyes closed and all its bowed. I, I like to minister to us in this way. Firstly, in a prayer, some of you here, you do not know Jesus. This morning, you're here and say, I, I long for that life. I long for that love. I long for that legacy. And God tells you by yourself, you cannot. But when you trust that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, God will take residence in your heart. Your heart becomes His home. And that's the first step. So for those of you who are on site and online, and you're not a Christian, but you want that, you want that life, love and legacy, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, this morning I, I want that life, that love and that legacy. I recognize, I struggle, I struggle to be good in my life and I recognize I can't. I messed up. I need help. I trust that Jesus died on the cross to unmask my mess, to take away my sins. Thank you so much. Would you come into my heart right now? Make my heart your home. Thank you, Lord. For those of you who prayed that prayer after service, would you just come forward or online, just scan the QR code and, and fill in the details. We'll be happy to stay in touch with you. And for the rest of us here who are Christians, this morning God gives us another opportunity, not just to begin with building our families in the homes, but where our hearts are a vacancy. There's an openness in our lives to welcome Him again. And what I want to do is I'm going to ask the musicians to sing this song over us. You don't have to sing it. We don't have to sing it. Online, on site, don't have to sing it. But allow this song to minister to you. And any time in the course of this song, you say, God, come into my life afresh. I open my heart to you again. Come, make my heart your home. Would you just pray that to Him? And at the end of it, I'll come and close us with a benediction.
allow me to close us in prayer. Father, this morning I believe many of us have prayed that prayer wherever we are, online, on site. Father, would you take this and would you answer that prayer? Would you come in again? Would you come? Let, let everyone who's prayed that prayer know that you are there. You're no longer on the outside. You're there and you embrace them and you accept them and you love them. You make everything new. Thank you so much for coming into our hearts, making our hearts your home. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you with an incredible week ahead. God bless. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.